I'm now going to read from the Bible, and I'm going to read Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the deepest gloom and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. Others went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. He turned rivers into a desert flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live and they found a city where they could settle. 
They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. And then I'm going to uh, read from Mark, Mark chapter 4, and it's verses 35 to 41. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, that's Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is God's word. Well, friends, our main autumn morning Bible teaching series is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, but Matt has kindly um, said that I can do this little threesome on three Psalms, 107, 108, 109. So I'd be grateful if you would turn back to the first reading, uh, Psalm 107. It's a wonderful psalm. It's one that uh, has been shaping me and helping me as I've been preparing And it would be good to pray now that uh, God will use it to shape us all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each of the Psalms in the book of Psalms. And we ask that as we hear again and consider and ponder this Psalm, you would work in our hearts and lives with your love and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 107 verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. The Lord in capital letters in our English translations means the God of the Bible, the covenant God, the God whose promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Give thanks to the Lord, the God of the Bible, for he is good, his love And the word translated love means covenant love, pledged love, promised love, love to all who will trust in Christ. That love endures forever. 
So let me begin with a question. What will it feel like to be loved by a love that endures forever? What will it feel like to be loved by an unchanging love? We say sometimes rather lightly in church or church circles, God loves you. But the New Testament teaches that any man or woman who trusts in Christ and belongs to Christ is loved with an unchanging love. Paul puts it very strongly in his letter to the Romans, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. And he gives a horrendous list of the kind of things that might, and he, then he concludes, I'm convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But let's be honest. What happens if you set that assertion that God loves you with an unchanging love side by side with your story or my story? I may be just personal for a moment. Some of you may know that we've, Carolyn and I, have had a, a strange summer of grief and joy. My father died in early in the summer and then our daughter was married late in the summer. So it was a summer of extremes, really, of grief and joy. And you set that and your stories, and your stories will be stories of ups and downs, of highs and lows, of joys and sorrows. You set that alongside the assertion that God loves you with an unchanging love in Christ. And if you're honest, you're bound to say, aren't you, it doesn't always feel like it. There are days when I'm bouncing around, and if somebody says to me, God loves you, I say, yes, I know. (laughs) It's obvious he loves me. I feel that he loves me. Things are going well. There's lots of things to thank him for. And there'll be other days when if you say to me, God loves you, I'll say, well, it doesn't feel like it, because things are hard. That's true for all of us, isn't it? And I want to speak from this psalm about a wonderful love and a surprise about that love. The headline is, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. If you're a Bible reader, you will recognize that that's not the only place in the Bible that says that. You might want to glance back to the previous Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. You might want just to glance on for a moment to Psalm 136. Just on to 136 for a moment. Keep a finger in uh, 107, but 136. I'm not going to read it, but you'll notice in italics the words, His love endures forever, come 26 times. So the Bible does go on and on about this and say, no, the, the covenant love of God does endure forever. It is an unchanging love. Verses 2 and 3 help us to see the context of this psalm. So verse 1 is the headline, and verses 2 and 3, let the redeemed of the Lord say this. The new NIV puts it well, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their stories. Let them say what we're about to hear, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered, those two words, redeemed and gathered from the lands from all over the world. Now the background to this is, if, you, um, if you're anything like I was as a young Christian, Old Testament history for years was just a sort of blur in my life. 
You know, do, do you know that sort of thing? It's a sort of blur, and there are Assyrians and Babylonians and Syrians, and I don't know who there are. They're all sort of fluffing around in the... And I don't know who they are or when they are or what they are. So let me give you a hint. If, if Old Testament history is like that, here's two really big things to remember. Right near the beginning of the story, the people of God were enslaved in ancient Egypt under the pharaohs, and God brought them out in the Exodus, about one and a half millennia before Christ, give or take. Um, the Exodus, slavery, redemption through the wilderness into the promised land. Getting on for a millennium later, they, they, they were taken into exile, again a sort of slavery, not to, to Egypt this time, but to Babylon, out to the east, uh, exile in, in, in Babylon. And, uh, and, and their land was, they were just wiped off the face of the map for quite a while. And then they came back from exile. Now just glance back at the end of Psalm 106, if you would. Verse, um, the second last verse. There's a prayer there. Save us, O Lord our God, gather us from the nations. Use that word gather, that we may give thanks. That's a prayer to be brought back from exile. We're scattered uh, in exile in Babylon and various other places as well. Please gather us, bring us back. Psalm 107 is the beginning of book 5 of the Psalms, and it seems to be a psalm which is saying, let's listen to the stories of those who were in exile and have been brought back, those who have been redeemed, have been gathered. Let's listen to them giving thanks. And just glance to the last verse of Psalm 107 before we get into the way the stories are told. Verse 43, at the end of the psalm, Whoever is wise, if you and I want to be wise, let them heed these things, what the psalm's been telling, the stories, and consider or ponder the great love of the Lord. So the response to the the stories we're going to hear is, here is stuff we need to think about and ponder if we would be wise, because there's a surprise here. A real surprise, and in some ways a life-changing surprise. So let's hear the stories. Verses 4 to 9 give us the first telling of a story. And I've called it Lost in a Wasteland World. So verse 4, we, we, we join people who are wandering in desert wastelands. And they can't find, they're lost, they can't find a way to a city to settle. That's an inhabited city, a place where they can get a a, a, a Coca-Cola or a glass of water or a, um, you know, refill the tank in the car. In our terms, they can't find, they're they're lost in a trackless waste. And so as a result, verse 5, they're hungry, they're thirsty, their lives are ebbing away. The world is large and they're lost and it's a wasteland. And they cry to the Lord in their trouble, verse 6, and he, he rescues them. And he leads them, verse 7, by a, a straightforward way to a city where they can settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. He satisfies the thirsty, lost in a wasteland world. That was the story of the people of Israel right at the beginning after exod- the exodus from Egypt as they, they tracked through the, the wastes of the Sinai Desert. For years, hungry, thirsty, 
crying to the Lord for provision. And he brought them into the land, the promised land, to a place where they could settle. That was the story of the exiles in Babylon, scattered in a wasteland world, lost, needing the way, hungry, thirsty, troubled. That was the story of Jesus of Nazareth. As he went out into the Judean wilderness, the desert, and was hungry and thirsty and cried out to his father. And in many ways that story, because these are not just historical stories, they're also pictures of our story. Anyone who has felt that the world is too big and they feel lost and it's a place that feels dry, and hungry, makes us hungry and thirsty, and unsatisfied appetites, desires that rise in us that are unsatisfied, and we're hungry and thirsty, and we cry to God, and perhaps he rescues us in some way and gives us a satisfaction for which we long. And it would be natural to say by the time you get to verse 9, that's how I know God loves me when my appetites are satisfied in Christ. If I was miserable and hungry and thirsty and unsatisfied and I've come to Christ and I've found in him the way, the bread of life, the water of life, and I'm thinking this is marvelous, that's how I know God loves me. Let's go on to the second story. We'll think about these things. I've called the second story Trapped in a Dark World, verses 10 to 16. So verse 10, we, 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 now we join people who are sitting in the darkness of a dungeon, deepest gloom, deep darkness, the shadow of death as it's sometimes translated. And we're in a dark dungeon now. We're, 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 it's no longer that the world is too big and we're lost, it's that the world is too small and it's dark and we're prisoners suffering in iron chains like the Hebrew slaves in Egypt right at the beginning of the story in ancient Egypt under the pharaohs, prisoners, shackled, chained, dark. Same for the exiles in Babylon. Exiles, people at the bottom of the food chain, people who, for whom life was very constrained, all sorts of things they could not do that they wanted to do and it felt dark. But in this case, you see verse 11, The reason it happened to the exiles is they'd rebelled against the words of God. They despised the counsel of the Most High. God had said to them, you trust me, you live godly lives, you can stay in the land and you'll flourish. That was the covenant in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And and they didn't. They said, no, we're going to live for ourselves, we're going to be self-centered people. And hey, what happens? They, 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 They end up dark and in slavery. And it's hard, and and that this is the reason, verse 11, they've rebelled. So he subjected them to this bitter labor, verse 12. They stumbled. There was no one to help. It's It's a miserable picture. And they cry to the Lord in their trouble, just as the Hebrew slaves did in Exodus. They cried to the Lord. It was hard. It was miserable. They were constrained. It was dark. Life was a prison. And they cried to the Lord, and so did the exiles in Babylon. And he saved them. He brought them out, verse 14. That's a sort of Exodus language. He brought them out of this prison, this darkness. 
He broke their chains, so they give thanks, verse 15, for his wonderful deeds, his unfailing love. He breaks the gates of bronze, trapped in a dark world. Now, the interesting thing to note at this stage is that actually this second group of people are the same as the first group of people. When our English translations say psalm, psalm, it rather suggests they're different people, but they're not. It's just different ways of speaking of the same people. And it's interesting, isn't it, that that in our experience as well, the, the exiles in Babylon were, they knew what it was to be lost and hungry and thirsty in a world that was too big where they were scattered. And at the same time, they knew what it was to be dark and imprisoned. It's the same with us, isn't it? One writer says we are both lost in too wide a world and trapped in too small a one. And a very perceptive thing about the human condition, isn't it? The world is too big, I'm lost, I, I, I'm unsatisfied, I can't find satisfaction there, I'm hungry, thirsty. And yet at the same time, I find that my, old, my own dark soul is a trap and I'm imprisoned and I cannot break out of habits. I'd like to think that I'm free, and yet I'm not. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, we sang, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. It's a wonderful thing when the Lord Jesus, the Son, sets us free. He shines on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. And you and I, if we're Christian people, and we tell our stories, part of the way we tell our stories will be, I, I, I began to know what it was to be trapped by sin, to be a slave to sin, to be unable to break out, to be unable to do the good that I sometimes wanted to do. And in some measure, God in his grace in the Lord Jesus has set me free, and I've begun to know that. It's a wonderful thing, and so I thank God. And so you might get to the end of that second story and say, again, that's how I know God loves me, that Jesus has set me free from slavery to sin and darkness. Let's go on to the third story. I've called this one weak in a sick world. And again, these are the same people, verses 17. Here we've got people described as fools. That means doesn't mean people have a low IQ. Fools means people who are insolent towards God, people who are stupid because of their attitude to God, their self-centered attitude. And, and here, here, here we're with fools because of their rebellion. And here they're sick, they're afflicted, and it's a picture of sickness. And they lose their appetite, verse 18, and they come close to death. Death pictures as a city with gates. They come near the gates of the city of death. And they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he saves them. He sends forth his word, his promise. He heals them from their sickness. He rescues them from the grave. And they too give thanks for his unfailing love. And they're full of joy. Now again, these are the same people. That's a way of speaking of slavery in Egypt at the beginning of the story. The diseases of Egypt, as the Bible talks about, and those early days under the pharaohs. That's the story of the exiles, knowing what it is to, to feel weak, to find it hard to get up in the morning, because there seems to be nothing to live for, because everything that they, they had lived for has gone. They've been exiled to Babylon. Babylon. 
It's what the Lord Jesus experienced, not because of his folly, not because of his iniquity or sin, but because of ours. But he knew what it was to be weak. He knew what it was for his soul to be troubled. He knew what it was to groan and feel faint. And you and I know that. Lost and hungry in a big wide world, trapped in a dark world, weak in a sick world, and in ways in which the sickness of the world infects us, not just literally, but in in other ways as well. And Jesus heals. We say that's a wonderful thing. Let's look at the fourth story. I've called this one scared in a dangerous world. Verse 23. Now we're with people going out onto the sea in ships, merchants, perhaps in Solomon's time. And of course, this is a wonderful, vivid, literal description of going down to the sea in ships. There's an old proverb in one country which says, let him who knows not how to pray go to sea. If you want to learn how to pray, go to sea. <laughs> go to sea and you'll learn how to pray. And of course, these, this, this little cameo, this description is, 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 is used, isn't it, when we're praying for people at sea, literally, and we sing that great old hymn, Eternal Father, Strong to Save whose arm hath bound the restless wave, who bids the mighty ocean deep its own appointed limits keep. Oh, hear us when we cry to thee for those in peril on the sea. So it's literally applicable. But it's also the sea again and again in the Bible is a picture of the the wild and dangerous world. A world in which you don't know where you stand. A world which lacks stability and safety. A world in which you wake up one morning and you know what's in your diary, you know what you're expecting, and something traumatic happens and your life is never the same again. A world in which you you, you just can't rely on people or events or anything. It's a dangerous world and, and they're scared. And here's a vivid picture of that, these merchants out on their ships. So verse 24, they see God's works in the deep. And the deep is a place of danger. The deep is the place in Hebrew poetry near the gates of the place of the dead, right down in the deep. It it, it makes you shudder. And God spoke, verse 25, he stirred up a storm and the waves go high and they're mounting up to the heavens and then down to the depths. You can picture it. In their peril, their courage melted away. They're terrified. They reel. They stagger. You can picture it. Like drunken men, they're at their wit's end. There's nothing they can do. And they cry to God in their trouble and he brings them out of their distress. And he stills the storm to a whisper. And they get to the place where they long to get to safely. Now again, this has echoes all over Old Testament history and comes on to us as well. In the Old Testament, what did they do? They had to cross the Red Sea, not in ships, but it was a dangerous place. They couldn't cross it unless God helped them. They had to cross the River Jordan, which in those days was a big, wide, dangerous river, and they couldn't do it. The exiles didn't literally cross the sea when they went to Babylon or came back from Babylon, but the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah speaks of Jerusalem at the time of the Babylonian invasion and afterwards and calls it an afflicted city, storm-tossed. It's a metaphor 
in Isaiah 45, stor- Isaiah 54, storm-tossed. And we know what that means. And the Lord Jesus faced that literally on the Sea of Galilee. That's why we had that second reading. The waves going up to heaven, down to the depths. Terrifying, utterly terrifying. And that extraordinary miracle, he said to the storm, be quiet. And it was. Scared in a dangerous world. Now these are the same people. It's all ways of speaking about our experience. And if you and I told our stories as Christians... Uh, if we're Christians, uh, they would be stories of times when things were marvelous, times when the world seemed, you know, when, when God satisfied us, times when we felt free and bright and light, times of strength and health, times of stability, when everything seemed to be fine, and we thank God. And then there would be times would be the reverse of all of those. There would be times of unsatisfied desires. There would be times of darkness and feeling trapped. There would be times of sickness and weakness. And there would be times when we were very scared by the chaos of a dark world. So how do I know God loves me? When do I know God loves me? Have a look at the last section. Because after these four vivid cameos... Verses 33 to 42 are very surprising. Did you notice the way it all goes the wrong way around in verse 33? So we've had four wonderful stories which have started with misery and people, stuff was miserable, they prayed, God made it better, they said thank you. The stuff was miserable, they prayed, God made it better, they said thank you. Stuff was miserable, they prayed, God made it better, they said thank you. Stuff was miserable, they prayed, God made it better, they said thank you. You love us, now we know that you love us, hooray. Verse 33, he turned rivers, life-giving rivers, into a desert, flowing springs of fresh water into thirsty ground fruitful land into a salt waste like Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness of those who lived there. And you want to say, hey, wait a minute, that's not what we want. It's all gone back to front. But it's quite clear that he did it. He did it. He turned the good stuff into bad stuff. And then he turns the bad stuff into good stuff. Verse 35, the desert into pools of water parched ground into flowing springs. He brought hungry people to live there. They founded a city where they could settle. We met that earlier. They sowed fields. They planted vineyards. Fruitful harvest. Blessing, verse 38. Numbers increasing. Herds not diminishing. Everything going well. And you think, hooray, that's great. Let's stop there. And then, verse 30, their numbers decreased. (laughs) And they were humbled. By oppression, calamity, and sorrow. It's very strong, isn't it? All the bad stuff. Oppression, calamity, sorrow. And the one who pours contempt on nobles, and I think the senses of proud, strong people, made them wander in a trackless waste, wild desert. And then he lifted the needy out of their affliction. He increased their families like a, like, like flocks. So it's, it's down, and then up, and then down, and then 
up. So what's going on? Because the psalmist says to us at the end, the upright see and rejoice. Wicked people shut their mouths. That is to say they've got nothing to say. But the wise person heeds and considers and ponders the love of the Lord. The wise person looks at all this, slavery in Egypt, and then redemption in the Exodus, exile in Babylon, and then gathered back out of exile, the sufferings and struggles of the Lord Jesus, and then resurrection, the struggles of Christian people, and then resurrection. And the wise person looks at that and says, every bit of that speaks to me about the enduring, the unchanging love of God. And that is a wonderful truth. So if you and I ask, did God love them less when they were Hebrew slaves in Egypt and begin loving them more when he redeemed them at the Exodus? Did he love the people less when they went into exile in Babylon and love them more when he brought them back? Did the Father love the Lord Jesus less when he was hungry and thirsty, when darkness covered the land at the cross, when he was weak to death and more on Easter morning? Does he love you and me less at the times of unsatisfied desire, of hunger and thirst and more when we're satisfied? Does he love us less when we feel the darkness and the pressure of being sinners in a sinful world and more when we feel in experience the freedom that Jesus brings? Does he love us less when we are weak and close to death? Does he love us less on when the day comes when our weakness takes us right through the gates of death? And more when he makes us better? Does he love us less when the world is chaotic and scary and things happen to us then and more? When things seem stable? No, no, no. No, no, no. And this is so, so important, isn't it? What's he doing? I was speaking to a young mother just recently in a church where we used to belong to, and uh, I hadn't seen her for a while, and she was in a wheelchair. So I was asking her what was going on, and and she'd been a young, healthy mother with growing children. She'd had a fall in the stairs at home, just one of those random things that happened so far as the world's concerned. She damaged her spine, nerves, and life is never going to be the same again, I don't think. And she said to me, she said, I'm really looking forward to the age to come. I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth in a way that I never did before. And I thought to myself, God didn't love her any less when that accident happened. And God doesn't love us any less when the tough times come. What he's doing is he's saying to us, I love you so much that I will not let you settle in a world under judgment. I will not let you so enjoy this world that you'll begin to think it's your home. 
I will not let you find satisfaction in this world that will ultimately lead you to hell. I will not let you think that you're free in this world when you're not. I will not let you think that the life and strength and health of this world is all there is. I will not let you think that this world is a predictable and safe place. I will not let you settle in this world so that you think that this is your home. That's a word for us when things are going well, isn't it? And it's a word for us when things are tough. But it's the love of God, his enduring, unchanging love, is expressed in his discipline as it is expressed in the times when he things are good. His discipline is a reminder that the times when things are good in this life are not the final times, and they never will be. That the only time when he can safely make things good forever is in the age to come. And he will do that. And so I want to say to you, if you're not a Christian believer, and it's all very new to you, and you have all sorts of puzzles and questions, I want to say to you, ponder, heed, think about these things. People sometimes say, I'm not a Christian because of all the suffering in the world. I wonder if it isn't the other way around. I am a Christian in some ways because of all the suffering in the world. Because it shows me that this world is not our home. And only when the Lord Jesus returns, only when God finally redeems and finally gathers, will you and I find the blessings that God promises to all who will trust in Christ. Let's be quiet for a moment and then I'll pray. God, our Father, we want to consider and heed and ponder your great love. We pray for those amongst us and those known to us who are going through times of weakness or darkness or hunger or fear and chaos. And we pray that in some way you would uh, enable them to know and to trust your great love for them in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray also for ourselves when things are good. And we pray that as we thank you, joyfully for your evident goodness and kindness, we might keep our eyes fixed on that final blessing and kindness promised to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.